Yes, it's the vote we've all been waiting for. The campaign you can't wait to get stuck into. Welcome to EU Mageddon. You will decide, and whatever your decision, I will do my best to deliver it. We'll try not to bore you rigid with the most important vote of our generation, apparently. Plus, which future US president could this be? Ah, ah, who does this guy think he is? Ah, disgraceful! Ah. Hello, Paul Osborne here. Thank you for downloading the latest podcast. Delayed, I admit, a little by a frantic few days of negotiations, meetings, claims, counterclaims and jaw-dislocating boredom. But finally, it is here. Finally, the great unanswered question that had already actually been pretty much answered. Get out your biggest gold star and get your diary ready. Propose that the British people decide our future in Europe through an in-out referendum on Thursday the 23rd of June. The choice is in your hands, but my recommendation is clear. I believe that Britain will be safer, stronger and better off in a reformed European Union. David Cameron, who, you may remember, was the author of the Conservative Party's deeply Eurosceptical 2005 manifesto, the man who has said over and over again that he doesn't love Brussels but he wants you to vote to stay in the EU. And ranged against him half a dozen members of his own cabinet and an out campaign that's already created some of the strangest partnerships since Blind Date was last on television. We'll be asked to remain in a union that now resembles a burning building. But the good news, folks, is there is an exit door and I suggest we take it. Britain should be an independent, sovereign and democratic country and that means leaving the European Union. Well, as ever, Robert Meakin joins me. We could, we're not going to, spend hours talking about the intricate detail of the deal that Cameron won and whether it's a good deal or a bad deal and whether he got half a loaf or a few crumbs. In the end, though, this decision really doesn't come down to to that deal, does it? It comes down to the gut feeling of voters, whether they want to be in the EU or whether they don't. They go with their instinct. There are certain people who feel naturally European and there are other people who instinctively feel English, never mind British. And so, as you say, it's it's more of an instinctive thing. What Cameron has been trying to do is look very proactive, look like a responsible prime minister who's gone out there, battled for Britain, the phrase he kept on using, and has tried to get the best possible deal. I mean, Michael Gove didn't even wait for the deal to be finalised before he let it be known that he was going to be campaigning come what may to leave the EU, which gives you some indication of perhaps how important that deal was, that the, de- the decisions had already been made, frankly. He then described it as the most difficult decision of his political life as he scrambled from the first cabinet meeting on a Saturday since the Falklands War to the photo shoot with the Vote Leave campaign 45 minutes later. Yes, although I'd have to say, possibly compared to uh, certain other prominent Tory politicians, you could say that Gove's stance has been relatively admirable because it's always been pretty clear that was the way he would go. You know what I mean? No one really could accuse him of sitting on the fence and, and playing political games. I think anyone would have been pretty surprised if Michael Gove had gone on side of the Prime Minister and it is, the reality is they are genuinely friends as well so I suspect it was awkward but inevitable decision that he made. It is, it is a genuine, as you say it's a genuine decision, it was a proper party versus country
country thing for Gove. He is genuinely a friend of Cameron's. He does genuinely respect the Prime Minister. But in the end, he's decided that his genuine belief that Britain should leave the EU trumps the loyalty that he feels to Cameron. As you say, let's let's compare and contrast that with, with Boris Johnson. He has loved every minute of this attention. Once again, it's come down to what will Boris do? Will he jump one way or the other way? The headlines are all about Boris. And that that's kind of the point, isn't it? The point is this decision, whether he backed out or in was all about what works best for Boris Johnson's career. It's not about, as you can say it was with Michael Gove, a principal belief one way or the other. However much he dresses this up, whatever fine words he chooses to explain his decision, the decision was which course best helps me become the next Tory leader. I think it'd be very difficult to argue against that uh, theory, Paul. Uh, anyone who's followed Boris Johnson's career in recent years knows, A, never to underestimate him, and B, never underestimate the, the sheer ego and ambition of the man. You know, and uh, I think you say it's, it's, you could argue it's been rather unseemly the way he's behaved by you know, keeping people guessing. He certainly enjoyed the limelight a few days ago when he arrived in Downing Street with his woolly hat on, playing up to the cameras and made it quite clear he was still undecided. Uh, he's certainly reveled in the spotlight and you know, he's playing a medium term, long term game. Oh, we think back to the general election. We talked about how, in a way, at that point, Boris's best hope of becoming Tory leader was for the Conservatives to lose because David Cameron would have to stand down. They'd be looking for a new leader. Boris would just have arrived in the House of Commons. And you can't help thinking his best hope now of becoming leader is, again, for Cameron to lose this referendum. Effectively, he is going to have to stand down. And Boris has just won the loyalty of the 100-plus Tory backbenchers who are passionately in favour of leaving the EU. And even if... Boris ends up campaigning on the losing side and we vote to stay in the EU. He still won the loyalty of all those backbenchers and they're the ones who choose who goes on the Tory leadership ballot paper. Absolutely. I think if we, if we play out the scenario that Cameron wins this referendum amid a fairly bloody, messy battle inside his own party. The next part of the story plays out inside the Conservative Party will be the subsequent leadership contest. And I think that revenge will be sought over certain individuals who, t who kept us in the EU, i.e. George Osborne. And I think, yeah, what, come what may, I think Boris is, is looking in a pretty strong position. If Cameron loses or wins the argument, I think Boris, looking right now at his own leadership ambitions, has probably put himself in a fairly strong position of saying to the party membership up and down the country, I'm with the majority of you. It's going to make for some fascinating photo shoots, some strange bedfellows. We've already seen, as we heard at the beginning there, Nigel Farage and George Galloway on the same side of the debate. I mean, Lord above. <laughs> yes, it, uh, it, it becomes quite surreal when you suddenly see those two sort of shaking hands. That's what these sort of occasions do. A rarefied atmosphere of an EU referendum brings unlikely bedfellows together, and they certainly are unlikely bedfellows. Both, of course, shameless publicists and loving the attention around them as well. What's going to be interesting, actually, is how much of this campaign can move beyond the Conservative Party, because it's so much now about the machinations inside the Tory party and questions about the future and questions about leadership and as david cameron says and as lots of people on the outside say this is about much more than what happens in the conservative party this is genuinely a very important vote regardless of how boring the campaign might be for lots of people david cameron's going to be campaigning with the great bulk of the labor party but i'm not absolutely certain how engaged the labor party is going to be in this because so far their involvement has consisted of jeremy corbyn sort of saying well we're going to vote in favor of the eu but you know cameron's not doing a very good job i know it's it's going to be a strange campaign they'll 
there'll be certain prominent Labour figures who I suspect you will see be more proactive with Cameron. Alan Johnson, I would imagine, who's very involved in the, in the, the staying in the EU campaign. Someone like that may take a more prominent, high-profile uh, stance on it all. Because, it, as you say, it's, it's, well, it's impossible to imagine Jeremy Corbyn sharing a platform with David Cameron on this. So, no, it will be a fairly fragmented sort of campaign, but with Cameron being the front man for it. And we're already starting to see some interesting decisions. Zach Goldsmith has confirmed that he is going to campaign to leave the EU. I don't see how that helps you trying to become mayor of London when London is firstly the most cosmopolitan mixed part of the UK in terms of where its people come from. London, I think, is like the fifth biggest French city in the world in terms of the number of French citizens who live here. So I'm not sure how campaigning to leave the EU necessarily helps you become mayor of London. We were also told that this would not be a campaign based on fear. And the first thing Ian Duncan Smith says publicly when the shackles are taken off is that we are more vulnerable to a terrorist attack if we stay inside the European Union. So the no fear campaign lasted for about five hours. And I think George Osborne the other way saying this is a dangerous leap into the unknown. Again, possibly playing on fear. I mean, fear fear is what often wins general elections and referendums and devolution votes and all manner of things. So I would uh, I think I think we should take that with a large pinch of salt. This is a wider thing, isn't it? Can you campaign on opposite sides of such a passionate debate from within the same party or even within the same government and remain friends? Afterwards, you all have to sit around the same table and carry on as before. They have to pick this up and move on afterwards. And and the Conservative Party has a track record, shall we say, of getting quite divided over Europe. I think it's very hard. In the, in the heat of battle, everyone at the moment is, has been pretending it's going to be civilised. As we say already today, the atmosphere has got very, very heightened. Over the next few weeks and months, it's going to get bloody messy and dirty and of course at the end of that there will be consequences and it's very difficult to see certain colleagues working together afterwards i don't i mean david cameron while he's always been averse to reshuffles doesn't strike me as the most forgiving of types if it's seen that you know if, if this stuff gets personal and i think it's almost inevitably going to david cameron has said if he loses this referendum if there is a vote to leave the eu he will then lead the negotiations for us to leave he will see that through he will he will follow the will of the british people This is nonsense, isn't it? If he staked his reputation on securing a vote to stay in the EU, if he loses that referendum on the 23rd of June, how many days after the 23rd of June can he survive? It's exactly. And whether he likes it or not, it will be seen as Cameron's defeat, his very personal defeat if this goes wrong for him. He's already said he's going. He's not standing at the next election. This is the defining moment of his premiership. If he loses this... How can he really you know, claim he's going to go on and on after that? No, I, I think you're quite right. I think the, uh, the time scale for his departure shortens. Now, remember when Donald Trump's presidential candidacy was just a joke? So much so that the Huffington Post used to put it on their entertainment page. Suddenly, it's not so funny anymore. He has won another primary, this time in South Carolina, and has forced Jeb Bush out of the race entirely. Suddenly, the wall-building, wig-wearing game show guy isn't quite the joke we imagined him to be. I've been saying, make America great again, and it's going to be greater than ever before. That's the kind of potential we have. Greater than ever before. So, Um, It is inexplicable, Robert, I think, to a lot of people in Britain that so many Americans would seriously consider Donald Trump 
as suitable to be president. It's a reaction against the professional politicians who come out with the same, you know, rehearsed spiel all the time. Trump is a million miles from that. Yeah, you know, he speaks. He speaks like a reality television star, which he essentially is, which connects with a huge part of the electorate. He just speaks very, very different language to most of them. So he's been deemed, dare I, dare I say, refreshing in certain circles in the American electorate. We've had conversations about how the biggest thing that Jeremy Corbyn does as Labour leader is make makes it almost certain that David Cameron remains prime minister, that the Conservatives remain in office. So if you're a Labour supporter, Jeremy Corbyn is the last thing that's going to get you into government. And I, I'm slightly worried about the same thing with Bernie Sanders, although it's still quite unlikely that Bernie Sanders is going to get the Democrat nomination. If he did, Michael Bloomberg's been suggesting that he would stand as an independent candidate. Now, Bloomberg nominally was a Republican when he ran New York, but New York is a big Democrat city and he ran that for 12 years. He is going to take Democrat votes away. He's going to split the vote. And that's how we end up with Donald Trump as president. It's very possible. Exactly. If if Sanders was able to get over the finish line at the expense of Hillary Clinton with the Democrat nomination, I do think you have a real scenario, then, as you say, of a, of, of a split vote and the Republican candidate, and that could well be Donald Trump presently, coming through and taking it. You would argue, obviously, to stop Trump, it needs some of the other candidates to now pull out of the contest for the, the establishment of the Republican Party, which is certainly not for Donald Trump, then to fall behind one candidate to stop him getting the nomination. I don't suspect Ted Cruz has any intention of pulling out at this stage. In a lot of countries, being criticised by the Pope would be pretty bad for you as a candidate and and what I, what I like about Donald Trump in a way and I don't doesn't necessarily say mean that I want to see him sitting behind the uh, the desk in the oval office what I like about Trump is the pope of all people the pope says I'm not sure this guy Trump's a christian you know this whole thing about bombing everyone and and building walls I, I maybe he's not a christian now most people would think this is the pope this is the leader of the Catholic. I need to be a little bit respectful now. Although I, although I need to respond, I need to be respectful. And Trump, who I think increasingly sounds like Danny DeVito playing the Penguin, Trump comes out and goes, wah, wah, who does this guy think he is? Wah, disgraceful, wah. And what is it he said? If and when the Vatican is attacked by ISIS, which, as everyone knows, is ISIS's ultimate trophy, I can promise you that the Pope would have only wished and prayed that Donald Trump would have been president. I think the Pope prays to somebody else, to be absolutely honest. A big old battle with the Pope probably isn't something that Trump is worrying about too much. And he treats it all, again, like he's just on the US Apprentice having a go at somebody. It's the same spiel, and it's a spiel that a lot of the US electorate currently relate to and rather enjoy. You do wonder what Donald Trump would have to do to have gone too far maybe if he turned up to a debate you know with a baseball bat and just started trying to thin out the field by smacking the other candidates in the head but who knows maybe they'd see that as strength maybe if he said oh and i'd do this to isis as well people would start whooping we are talking about an election where another candidate has tweeted a picture of a, a handgun with his name etched on it and just the word America. I did wonder, I did worry when I first saw that from Jeb Bush, his yeah, candidacy has been so bad, I wondered if it was cry for help and I just saw the gun with his name on it, but I believe it wasn't. He was turning on his advisers. <laughs> now, when
when uh, Robert and I are not sitting in these cupboards ranting about politics, we do uh, what used to be called journalism. Sad news last week with the announcement that The Independent will no longer be available as a printed newspaper. It prompted me, and this is perhaps the reason why The Independent has been in so much trouble, to go to my newsagents for the first time in about a year and buy a copy. And um, I picked up the one copy in my local newsagent and handed it over, and the guy said to me, oh, it's closing. And I said, yeah, you must have sold a lot more copies today, you know, because of the news, because you've only got one copy left. And he said, no, I only get one copy every day and um, very rarely sell it which kind of tells its own story. One of the executives in The Independent was on the radio this week saying that they're actually only selling 35,000 copies a day. Oh, The Guardian sells about five and a half times that number. And that they were having to pay some retailers to continue stocking the paper. Hence the decision to make it online only as of the end of March. And Robert, you've done a bit of work at The Independent, haven't you? Yes, I have. So I should declare an interest immediately. And it's always been, I have to, I have to say, <laughs> an extremely enjoyable place to work with a, a huge number of talented individuals there. It's, I, I've always been a fan of the product, even when I wasn't working for it. Uh, I would also say, though, that uh, when, I was, when I was training as a journalist in the mid-late 1990s, people even then were saying, how can the independent survive? Even then they were saying, you know, readership was down. So depressing as it is, it's not a huge surprise that the, the print edition will soon be extinct. I obviously hope that the, the slimmed down online version of the independent will continue to thrive. I think it's an inevitable, sad but you know, sensible decision that they go, they go in this direction. How much influence has the Independent had over the last few years? Because, as you say, it's got some great writers and it's produced some really good journalism, but it's barely being read. At Westminster, for example, what real influence did the Independent have? You easily fall into a bubble when you are in the media. And I think, yeah, because they're dealing every day, you know, for example, with, with government spin doctors, you're really, very much in the bubble of Westminster and what's going on. They do have influence and they, you know, they, they, their journalists appear on television to discuss you know, the, the day's events. Away from that, though, I don't in terms of the, the population at large, they have become less and less relevant because you only have to look at the, the level of the readership. Other newspapers are in the same position, by the way. I just worry that the independent saying we're off to this bright new future as, a, as an online newspaper, that it's very easy to forget you're there. It's rather like, you know, the BBC keeps saying BBC Three is carrying on as a television channel. It's just not on television anymore. Well, the problem is, if you're not on television, if you're just one of a thousand voices online, it's very, very easy to forget that you're there if you're not front and centre. And my fear is that if The Independent doesn't spend the kind of money it's talking about and it, on investing in journalism online, on getting good writers online, then a year from now, we'll have completely forgotten about it. Yeah, that is the danger. I mean, the and the fear, of course, with it going online is it really, of course, there's going to be a great deal of cost cutting in the medium to long term, that it's going to be a far cheaper product. They won't be reporting in the in the, the same detailed way they have been across the country, across Europe, across the world. And you do wonder then, you worry whether they'll get squeezed. So hopefully, yes, there, there will be investment in place to make it a real player. Well, I think we'll leave it there for now. But don't you worry, there is much more rip-roaring, seat-of-the-pants, EU referendum excitement to come four long months of it actually yeah get in touch on twitter at paul osborne and if you've a spare moment to leave a friendly review or rating on itunes we will buy you an ice cream that's not a bribe by the way because we won't really buy you an ice cream until next time from robert and myself thank you very much for listening and goodbye <laughs>